I'm going to integrate one question from the MBT forum as I can to help move those questions along too. This one in particular is very sweet. It's from Katya from the MBT forum on the soul of a dog. And she's worried about her 86-year-old grandmother. Katya says, thank you for everything you do. My grandmother is 86 years old, and a little more than a year ago, she lost her little Maltese dog due to an ugly accident where another dog killed him and he died in her arms. He was the love of her life, and I can't take her grief away. I told her everything about you and how death is not the end, and I gave her a spark of hope. Now she asks me to write you and ask if there's in any possible way she could get the soul of her dog back. So my question is, is it possible to track the soul of an animal in the afterlife and to know where and when she'll incarnate back to life? Do dogs incarnate into the same breed or can they have totally different dog breed bodies? Is it possible to get the soul of our little Maltese dog back? Thank you very much for your answer. I would like to take her tears away and see her smile again. Well, I think the way to approach this would be to have an intent of having you know, a, another dog. And again, it may not be Maltese, but to get another dog and to have an intent that this new dog will be that same dog, right? As you say, the soul of the dog. Have that intention in your mind, but also have in your mind that Every dog is lovable, it's just like every every person is lovable. You have to develop that that relationship has to be developed. So even if you got just that same dog back, even if you got that soul, that dog back just the way it was, doesn't mean it would develop just the way your relationship with that dog did. Because the relationship developed with that dog was because of the interaction between you know your grandmother and that and that dog it was that interaction developed that relationship so just starting at the same starting point doesn't necessarily guarantee you get the same end point you know grandmother's a little older now she probably do maybe uh, more things with a dog because of that or less things with a dog because of that everything wouldn't be exactly the same so you know she's 86 um a dog, uh, particularly little dogs, tend to live like uh, 12 to you know 14 years. Some of them, you know, 15. Small dogs live longer than big dogs in general. Maltese is pretty small. Um, you know, it may uh, that dog may have a, a different experience this time, and the grandmother may have a different experience. So I would I would try to encourage your grandmother that it's not the point isn't to have the same experience again or to start with the exact same starting point again as it is that a relationship with a dog, another dog, will become whatever it is the two of you make it. And if you have an intention that you want a relationship similar to the one you had before and that that is a 
that is a, a key intention of yours, and it could be also of, of uh, granddaughter as well as grandmother, you know, would have this intention, and daughter, and maybe other people, that this little dog would just fit into grandma's life just very perfectly, then with all that intent, the probability is very high that you will find a dog that will do just that. Now, how would you know whether that dog was the same dog soul or a different dog soul, and does it matter? Well, it really doesn't matter, but maybe it matters to grandma because that's just the way grandma thinks. In which case, the best way to handle with grandma would be to tell her, of course you can. All you need is a very strong intent and a loving heart, and your doggy will come back to you. That seems to me would be the better way to talk to grandma. And again, if when a dog comes, that loving intent and caring will no doubt create a relationship that was very similar to what she had before, but it will be different. And even if the exact same dog soul could be guaranteed to come back, it would still be different because the situation's different. See, it's not exactly the same environment. The grandma's not exactly as she was. The people come in and out of the house aren't exactly the way they were. Everything's going to be different. So even if you get that exact same dog soul, you're going to end up with a different relationship and a dog that's a little different. So the difference should be accepted. But if she has that strong intent, it will probably work out. Because that intention will raise that probability. And dogs of a particular breed like that are going to be similar. They're going to be similar in their appearance. They're going to be similar in their attitude. And if she is similar in her attitude, there's a very high probability you're going to get a similar result and a similar relationship. So, yes. 86-year-old grandma is probably not where you start with some kind of very uh, intellectual argument about the nature of reality. I think you'd start more of something that was soothing and hopeful and helpful. And the probability that it's going to turn out just as good, if not better, is very high. And that intent will make anything possible. So is it possible to get that same dog soul back? Yes, anything's possible in this reality frame. That larger conscious system can do anything in this system. So even if that, even if that dog was part of a group soul, that same quality, that same thing that described that particular dog can be created again. So I'd say use your intent and see what happens. Let the whole family use their intent. Move that probability to make that, you know, very likely. And it's very likely that your grandmother will get exactly what she wants. That's really nice, Tom. Thank you very much. Gary is our next person to ask questions. Go ahead, Gary. Um, in one of the 12 videos from Irvine, uh, somebody asked about what you refer to as the done people, uh, the IUOCs that decide they are fully evolved and don't want to come back to this virtual reality. You explained that the LCS has created another special virtual reality specifically for the done people, where they eventually realize that they are not fully evolved or that they might even be de-evolving 
and ultimately asked to return to this VR. As I understand it, when we leave this avatar and return to the non-physical realm, the memories of this free will awareness unit fade very quickly, like a dream, as the partitions come down and we return to being an IUOC. So this makes me wonder how the done people actually know that they don't want to come back here anymore. To make that decision, is it not true that they would have to be aware of themselves as an individual personality rather than an IUOC accumulation of qualities with no specific memories? And they would also need to have memories of this VR to know that they didn't like it anymore and did not wish to return. Uh, in fact, this doesn't just apply to the done people, but to all of us, because in life review, to determine where we need to go next, we would have to be fully aware of the memories of at least the last reincarnation in order to make a decision about what we needed to do next. But if the memories fade so quickly after leaving the avatar, the life review would have to be done almost immediately. But I don't remember you saying that's how it happens. How does that work, please? Okay, well, that's really not how it happens. It may sound that way, but in the life review, we'll deal with that one first. In the life review, you actually, it's more like watching a video. It's not coming out of your memory. You are at least the, the you know, I, the times I've been there, whether it's been for me or whether it was somebody else because I was working there. Um, you take the person, they go into like a, a room. Now again, room. Remember, this is all metaphorical. You go into a, an isolated space and you may ask a question like, um, you know, or you may say, well, you know, you had some problems with my usual, uh, uh, thing is like anger management. And the person says, no, I didn't. I don't have any trouble with anger management. I have trouble with other people being jerks. So, they don't see that they have an anger management problem. They just see the world's full of jerks that make them angry. And of course you'd get angry when you run into a jerk that does things that make you angry. So they don't see that as their problem. They see it as the problem of the outside world. And what happens then is that it's like you're looking at a video. You stand there and here you are. This is like video from your life. Okay, so this is data in the database from the life that you lived. And you're now experiencing that data and the system will kind of fast forward to some point where somebody says something and you go off and get angry. You know, you fly off the handle and uh, that's to let that person know. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. I did kind of get angry there. And all that person did was, you know, some kind of real minor thing and so on. So that life review, isn't that you start at the beginning and then review your whole life. That would take much too long. It's that you get these little um, clips, if you will, that show you specific things that you have to learn, specific things that let you admit that you've got, you know, issues in places where where you need work and where you need to, to work on particular kinds of things. And it helps the entity then pick a good next experience packet that will hopefully have a high probability that they will be able to learn these things they need to learn, kind of sets them up for learning more likely to run into the lessons that it is they need to learn rather than just repeat something that they've already done maybe reasonably well. So that's the point. So it's not like they remember it out of their memory. It's a 
It's more like somebody takes you into this uh, little conference room and you sit down and a big screen is up on one end of it and they start showing you little bits and pieces out of your life to convince you of things that you are now uh, what in denial about. So that's how the life review works. It's getting data out of databases. Now, as far as the done people go, the uh, the people who feel that they're done feel that way, not because necessarily that that was the feeling that that free will awareness unit had. Yes, that free will awareness unit did have that feeling, but the IUOC also has that feeling. The IUOC is just a piece of consciousness, and that IUOC feels like it's done. It's evolved. Okay, it doesn't need any more lifetimes. It feels very confident that it is as enlightened as enlightened can be. So it has that attitude. Well, obviously that attitude is a, is a, is a, a lot of ego. Okay, so that's the case. It's not that the individual free will awareness unit feels that way because it's remembering those feelings is that that has become, and it's because probably the last three or four incarnations maybe haven't learned a whole lot, but a little bit, and the assessment of the IUOC is that's because they're they're at the end. They're, their learning is now very incremental because there's just not that much more to learn, and they've come to that conclusion, and they feel like they're done. So when that death occurs, that free will awareness unit becomes, not only does it lose its memory, but as it, as that happens, as its memory disappears, it reintegrates with the IUOC. So by the time the memory's gone, by the time the person's up maybe doing the life review, it's not the free will awareness unit doing that anymore. That, that partition's come down. It's the IUOC that is now talking, not the free will awareness unit. So it's the IUOC that feels like it's done. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't want to reincarnate. When somebody says, well, what do you want for your next, you know, your next uh, experience packet? It's the IUOC that says, I don't need a next experience packet. I'm done. It's not the free will awareness unit, which represents that individual. So that's how you explain those things. Very quickly, that free will awareness unit just disappears. It does not persist. It's done. It's a one-off. It's a one-off that had that, the, that very particular genetics for its avatar, and it was that particular piece of subset of that IUOC that played those choices. And then when that life is over, that subset is returned to the whole IUOC, and the IUOC is the thing that actually negotiates for the next experience packet because it has the view of all the experience packets. So that IUOC isn't aware isn't much more grown up than the last free will awareness unit. You know, the last free will awareness unit started with all the quality that the IUOC had gained. And then maybe if it gains just a little bit, then it comes back. The IUOC is still about at that level, plus the little bit that it's gained. So it's it's not the free will awareness unit is somehow remembering when it doesn't have a memory. It's that the free will awareness unit is done. It's gone. It only is a, is a one, it's a one time, it's a one time thing. The thing that persists, the thing that we should identify as, if you say, well, who are you? You should identify as the individuated unit of consciousness. 
not as the free will awareness unit. You are the IUOC. And it's the IUOC that decides what they're going to do next. And if that IUOC says, I've had terrible incarnations the last 10 times. I keep going backwards. I don't want another one. I can't stand going backwards anymore. So I need a different situation. I need I need something that I can succeed at. And the system would probably give them something where they could succeed at. Some lifetime that was particularly devoid of challenges. And then we'd see. And maybe they wouldn't even succeed at that, but maybe they'd fail less. And maybe then they'd have to go back and be, uh, you know, somebody's, uh, uh, you know, pet uh, chihuahua or something. They may have to start over at a, at a simpler place where there were fewer choices to make to get themselves built back up to the point they were ready to make human choices. Hard to say. That probably doesn't happen often. That'd be a pretty rare case. That hardly ever would happen that way. But the system tries to give you something at which you can succeed. It doesn't want you to fail. It doesn't want you to get something too hard. It doesn't want you to get something that's too easy. It would like you to get something just right. But it won't overrun the free will. And it's the IUOC that does that bargaining for the next time, not the free will awareness unit. So, what, so while the, the life review is being run, these little clips, these little video clips, mm-hmm. How does the IUOC recognize that person in the video clips as itself if it's got no memory of that lifetime? Oh, the IUOC has all the memory. It it has access to all the database. In other words, when that free will awareness unit uh, had experience, it's just a piece of the IUOC. So it's really the IUOC's experience as well. You see, but just that part that's that's partitioned off is making the choices, but that's really started as the IUOC was last time. So it starts that way. Then it makes choices and it grows stuff. And as it does make those choices, all the data is in the database. Everything that that, that free will awareness unit does with that particular avatar, it's all in the database. Now, whether that database is stored someplace else in the system or whether it's stored in the IUOC doesn't really matter. That's just a matter of computer science design. You know, maybe there's just one big database that has all that and the IUOCs are just part of that, part of that database. You could, you could look at it that way or you could say, well, that database belongs to the IUOC and all that data as it's done belongs there. Or if you don't like the idea that the data flows to it, all along, as it happens, you could say that all that data is saved, and then when that life is over, it all gets uh, dumped down to the IUOC. You know, you can. Those, these are just implementation issues, and I don't really say one way or another the way the computer science is implemented. Either way would work, and the system will do it however it is most effective for it to do it. Um, the most easiest thing to see is that that. That uh, that barrier that we have between the IUOC and the free will awareness unit, that uh, partition, has a is permeable in the way that the the life experience data that's going on all goes back through that partition, but nothing flows back from the IUOC to you know to change that. We could look at it that way, but that's not necessarily true either. There's there's a partition there 
to let that free will awareness unit work without any past memory because past memory is dysfunctional in this game. It only makes things harder to learn, not easier. So, you know, that's, that's the model and the, the models, these things are really metaphors for functions. So those are the functions and, uh, those are the metaphors for those functions and exactly how that might be in, uh, uh, implemented in a computer. I don't really go there because I figure the system probably knows so much more about computer science and mathematics than, than I do that there's no point in me trying to second guess what it's doing and why it's doing it that way. Does that make sense? Um, uh, I, I still struggle with the logic of that. I'll, I'll have a little more, more think. I'll think about it a little more, but I, I still find that the logic of that confusing, but I'll, I'll okay. listen back to you and see if I get it any better. Okay. Well, basically the logic is this, is that you have a, a, an IUOC partitions off part of itself, which has an experience with an avatar upon death. All that experience goes back to the IUOC. That becomes part of the IUOC's experience. So now the IUOC has that experience along with the experiences of all the other past lives as well. So it goes to a life review. It's got all that experience there. If it wanted to, it could review, you know, the tenth life ago to see something that it did there. It can it can look at all of experience, including the one that just passed. Its idea is to look at that ensemble of all that experience and see what's best to do next. So that IUOC is the thing that decides whether it's done or whether it has an anger management problem, whether it's ready to incarnate or not, or whether it's going to sit out for a while. That's all the IUOC's judgment. And the IUOC contains all the data from all the experiences. So that last experience is part of the IUOC. And whether that's at a big download at the end of the, of that uh, avatar's life or whether it's a trickle in as it happens, Really doesn't matter. Just how that data is is done is kind of irrelevant to the to the to the model. I just think it sounds like a contradiction that the the partition comes down and the IUOC no longer remembers itself as that free will awareness unit, and yet no, all the memories. I see what you're confused with. No, it's not the IUOC does no longer remember. That would be a contradiction. The free will awareness unit. When the, when the avatar dies, the free will awareness unit starts to disassemble and all of it goes back to the IUOC. It's the free will awareness unit that no longer remembers. Okay. It doesn't remember that specific thing. So now the I, it goes into the database. It's not part of its real life. I see where you're, where you're hung up now and you're right. That's a, it's a confusing space there. So it's part. When, when it, just before it dies, its past life in that incarnation is, uh, its memory. Okay. It's, it's all of its memory. Now, when that memory fades to that free will awareness unit, that individual memory begins to fade and there's a transition between that and the IUOC. So as that fades, the IUOC ends up with that data being one set of data and a lot of other sets of data, both. So now the IOC can remember it all. It's got all that information. It, it's, it's got that, but it's in that transition phase 
where the free will awareness unit is is what disappearing is uh what can we say uh disintegrating and the IUOC is collecting all that data that transition takes a little bit of time you couldn't have that transition in in one second because then to the entity it would be like a wham you know it suddenly you know there'd be this big shift in reality and it'd be kind of a slam so that takes place during this transition that's what the transition reality is for it's to allow that transition from free will awareness unit to IUOC take place so initially when that free will awareness unit get there it's like where am i what's going on you see oh what about mom and dad you know what about my children and he's maybe got a lot of issues that starts to fade and that free will awareness unit starts to fade too with it so as that information fades the free will awareness unit fades and eventually the free will awareness unit and the, and those thoughts and everything fades and now we have an iuoc that is looking at the whole thing and isn't worried about what happens to the children that's no longer it's it's now data in the database and it's another lifetime to look at in toto with with all the others so it's the the whole transition reality is to let that free will awareness unit disintegrate and to let you know for the iuoc to to pick up control for the next incarnation yeah i get it now yeah so it's that it's that that the uh, process of one disintegrating while the other one you know takes up takes up the information is the part that has you confused hopefully that helps yeah it does yes thank you uh the my other question is a little shorter um you've often said that this particular virtual reality is the fast track learning lab for our uocs to evolve mm -hmm. there are other virtual realities but as far as humanity is concerned, this planet Earth is where all the action is for consciousness to evolve, and most of the interactions and choice making happens here. Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering why, at the start of the VR, at the digital Big Bang, the LCS set in motion a rule set that would create such an immense universe. Although it may not be a physically immense universe, but rather a computed one, what is the purpose of rendering all that cosmos? outside of this teeny tiny earth where all the action is. How does it help the LCS to evolve? Because it doesn't seem to be a very parsimonious use of its resources to create that multitude of galaxies when everything relevant to its evolution is happening here. Okay, um, that's, that's because it doesn't have to, of course rendering is, is it doesn't have to render anything. It. Uh, you know it, it only renders when it sends information to a consciousness to you know to, to be part of the virtual reality so otherwise it's just doing it's doing the math now it has to let enough of it evolve to get the part that it wants let's say that the earth is the only part that has that has uh, um avatars Maybe all the rest of the universe, there are no avatars. This is the only, um, this is the only part of it that has living characters in it. It's just the Earth and our solar system. Well, as the, as the model evolves, it only needs to evolve that part of it that's necessary for this solar system and the Earth to 
happen for it to for it to have a, a logical trail let's say that's all it has to do if there's things way off you know 100 light years away none of that has to be computed now if we get a telescope that looks over there 100 years away it will compute something that is likely to might have been there and you know whatever the pro whatever the possibilities are then it'll show that to the people looking through the telescope and then as soon as the telescope's turned off well it doesn't have to doesn't have to render that anymore it only has to render it and now if they look back at that same spot it just has to show them the same thing because once it shows them something then that's what it has to show them again but it didn't have to compute that little view right into that little space that the telescope looks at until that telescope looked there and then it didn't have to compute what actually would have evolved there it only has to compute something that probably could be there and again it's a random draw from a you know from a probability distribution of the possibilities so these things just remain as possibilities they don't have to be even computed much less rendered to anybody in any detail they're just possibilities and then when you need to render it you render something that suits and now you have to render whatever connects to that other thing then you have maybe uh, a smaller number of possibilities because you already said what was where the telescope just looked now you want to look at the next piece of space next to it you have fewer choices because now whatever you choose has to match pretty well with the last one that you said so as you as you fill things in the choices become less and less but that first choice is very wide open probably any number of billions of things could be there and it just picks one and that's what we get so it doesn't have to do all that computation it only has to compute that part that is necessary so you'd need a sun you'd need an earth you'd probably need a few other planets because it wouldn't be highly likely that you'd have just one sun and one earth going around it in just the right orbit that would be kind of odd particularly when the rule set wouldn't do that the rule set would have all kinds of stuff it would have asteroid belts it would have all sorts of other things in order to make a logical history for how that for how that solar system and those planets and so on got there the rule set would lay down the logic of what was possible there what was likely there and out of all those possibilities and their probabilities then something gets drawn up then the computer can continue to evolve that little piece of it until it gets avatars so there's no reason there's no real big waste in doing all the rest of it matter of fact there's a there's a pretty good uh, uh, pretty decent probability that uh, the Fermi paradox is solved by I don't know if you're familiar with Fermi paradox Fermi paradox says well if there are you know if there's other life in the universe then why isn't it here and if you make the calculations that says okay they can only go sub light speed let's say one tenth the speed of light as fast as they can go because we're in a in a uh, a much younger part of the universe okay there's another part that's billions of years older than us so if it happened in those billions of years that are older than us then they would be a billion years ahead of us in evolution now there's a lot of assumptions being made here but you know and if they're a billion years ahead of us in evolution then they should have been moving forward even at sub light speed in habitable rock at a time and they should have been through here long time ago because even at one tenth of the speed of light they would have been through here 
you know, 500,000 years ago before humanoids even walked around on our planet. We're only about 200,000 years old as far as Homo sapiens goes. <clears throat> so they would have been around here a long time. And every single body, everything, every single rock here that could be inhabited would be inhabited because that's the way things go. You, you move out to something and then when you get that gets crowded, you move out to the next step. And when that gets crowded, you move out a little further. And with the, with, if you look at the, uh, limits on, on uh, the speed of reproduction and, and growth and moving out and all the rest of it, the Fermi paradox says that they should have been here a long, long time ago and everything in our, in around our neighborhood should already be teeming to the point of being full and they should have moved on past us. And it would be impossible for us not to notice. It'd be like being uh, walking down the street in New York City and not noticing that there are any other people there. You know, it would be really hard not to notice. So if that Fermi paradox is a, is a very strong paradox, which it, it is rated to be a very strong paradox, then that the solution to it is that this is a virtual reality. And it's not that all that, that uh, cosmos out there is just a waste of a waste of computation and a waste of of uh, of territory. It doesn't really exist, and it's never been computed. The only part that's been computed is the part the system really needs. So that would be the the answer to that. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Carolyn. Please go ahead with your question. So last time we talked about. Um, the belief of having to do something in order to achieve something. And you said that it's a process that takes up on years. So, but I would like what, like, how did you manage to get rid of that belief? Like what, is there like a certain strategy some has to follow? Well, what you're talking about, uh, let me generalize it a little. So the listeners will, will know what you're talking about is that, we have this belief that we uh, we can't make something happen if we don't do something to make it happen because we live in a world where that is the rule. Our phys what we call the physical world or this virtual reality has a rule set where nothing happens if you don't reach out and touch it with something. You know, if you don't send some sort of energy there to do something, then nothing can happen. So we believe that that's the nature of reality, that you can't make something happen if you don't do something. But in fact, that's not the case in consciousness. That's just the case in this virtual reality with our rule set. If you go to, uh, even in a dream reality, you can do all kinds of things without having, I mean, you can experience all kinds of things without having to actually do anything. But within consciousness, the idea is you can use your intent to modify future probability. You can use your intent to change things in consciousness space or in physical space, either one, what we call physical space. So that intention can change things. The power of intent to modify our reality is a real thing, but we don't believe that we can do that. So now your question is, okay, how do we get over that belief? The way you get over that belief is with the practice of doing things with your intent without having any physical process. And I, well, I, I mention this particularly when we talk about, say, healing with your intent. If you're going to heal with your intent. You can heal just as well with your intent just by 
having an intent. You don't have to do anything else. Just have the intent and you can affect the healing. But most people, because they have this belief, can't do that because their belief says that's impossible. Their belief says if you don't do anything, nothing will happen. So now you got to go get your, your light beam and you have to be a light worker and you have to burn away the dark spots that represent the, you know, the ill health. So it leaves health. So you have to do something. You need a process to do to end up with a result because without a process, there is no result. Results are the results of processes. Not true in consciousness. Results are the result because of intent, not because of processes. It's only here that we need processes to create results. There you just need intent. So it's just practice. You get over it just by practicing changing things with intent without really doing anything. And it works. It works very well. And you you eventually get over that belief that you need to do something. So when you heal, instead of having to go get your trusty uh, light bar out and and uh, and dissipate black spots, you don't have to do that. That's just a, a a tool that you use to help focus your intent to the possibility of change. The only way to get over a belief is to one, you can have an intellectual understanding that the belief is false, but that generally doesn't help a whole lot. You have to just do it and practice it and, you know, make it part of your life to the point that the belief just dissipates because it doesn't apply anymore. You can't intellectually get rid of a belief. Beliefs are not intellectual things. They're, they're being level things and you can't intellectually make them go away. Although your intellect can help them go away by coming to the conclusion that they're dysfunctional and not useful. That helps your intent focus on getting rid of them. Does that help any, Caroline? Yes, it helps a lot. So, um, so the, the, that belief is not connected to any fear that we have. It's just no. a... Yeah, it's not a fear. That belief isn't really from a fear. It's just from habit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's a habitual thing. It's just that our whole experience here in this virtual reality says that we need physical process to make anything happen. And when we are working outside the physical, that doesn't apply because the rule set doesn't apply outside the physical. So it's not a fear that makes you feel that way. It's a habit of thinking. It's a habit of being. It's a belief that it is that way. Now you're kind of stuck with that belief until you do enough things that helps that belief just evaporate on its own because it's no longer useful. Here it's useful. You know, I want to, uh, my car's dirty and I want it to be clean. I can't just have an intention for it to be clean and make it clean. I have to go out and run some water and get a big sponge and do something to make it clean. Now, if I have an intent to make it clean and I don't mind taking a couple of months to do it, that intent may bring a, a nice rain or it might uh, make somebody else feel like they should go wash it. You know, if I have this intention, that car needs to be clean. That car needs to be clean. Well, maybe my wife would be in the car and just think, gee, that car needs to be clean and take it or run it through a, a cleaner. You know, so I might actually get it done without me doing something. But somebody has to do something in this physical reality. 
somebody has to take a make a physical process or it doesn't get done and that's not true when you're in the world of consciousness but yet we have the habit and that habit gets in the way but no it's not a fear it's just a habit the way of thinking actually a lot of our thinking is habitual uh, we surprise ourselves sometimes by how much of our life is run on habit you know that it, it, we really have to force ourselves to get out of our heads and think sometimes you know you've ever been in a situation where uh you know maybe it's a weekday and you have been have a guest staying and you're going to take the guest to the airport so you drive out of your house and you go down the road but instead of turning toward the airport you turn in the way of going to work because that's your habit and you go oh, i don't want to go this way i want to go the other way you know but your habit, just without thinking, you go there, you get to that stop sign, you make your right turn, and off you go. And uh, you do it anyway, even though just minutes ago you knew you were going to the airport, which is a left turn. Still, you get there, that you're auto automatic, you know, zombie. The zombie you that just lives on automatic takes over. And you, people will be surprised at how much of their life is run by that automatic zombie you. Just doing what it does, what's habitual. Okay, thank you. All right, Tom, we have, we did start 10 minutes late, so I'm going to let Ingo ask his question, and we'll take about, we'll take about 10 minutes for that, if possible. Go ahead, Ingo. <laughs> we'll see. We'll okay. See. <laughs> Hello, Tom. Hello, um, Ingo. I have a question um, to the healing exercises and I found it difficult um, to change the black spots uh, to white again. Um, I've tried different targets and often nothing wants to change first and I really have to focus um, to make the spot white and then uh, short after the spot turns black again. And I have to put more focus in it to make it white again and to keep it white. And it takes a lot of iteration to do some lasting change. And I don't know if this is the way it should be. Um, do you have any advice for me? Okay. It's the way it can be. And there's several reasons for that. If this is the way it is for everybody that you try to heal, if you've tried to heal 20 different people and every one of them is that way, then it's about you. You know, you're the one creating that issue. If it's just about one person that you're trying to heal, that's somebody who really doesn't want to be healed. That's somebody who needs whatever their illness is, is part of their growth path. And it's an important part of their growth path. And it all just gets put back after you take it away. And that's a good sign to leave it alone, that you really shouldn't be healing that person anyway. But if it's everybody you work with, then I doubt that everybody's in that, that category. So then it was going to be you. And obviously it's going to come from a fear, from a, from a belief. The fear being that healing people, I can't do that. That's hard to do. Or I'm not, I wouldn't be able to do it. Or if I did it, I wouldn't do it well. But something about your own mind is not being able to form that intent that they be well. Now it's possible that the metaphor that we're using of black and white spots is what's throwing you. 
you know, some metaphors resonate with some people and other metaphors resonate with other people. And you're doing a visual, you know, the dark, the, the dark symbolizes bad health and the white symbolizes good health and you want to get rid of the bad health. That metaphor may not just be appropriate for you. You may want to do something else. Typically, that's just very simple to do. And that's why we kind of teach people that way at the beginning, because that's a metaphor that they can relate to. But you may try some other sort of metaphor other than the getting rid of the getting rid of the dark spots and see if that's a problem. And if all the kind all the different kind of metaphors you can think of are all a problem in the same way, then that says it's it's you. It's your it's a fear, it's a belief that you're running up against and you just get to that point and it isn't gonna work. You just need to relax and start over. So I'd say first try different metaphors. Um so how to do that? Let's see. Instead of having it light and dark, you know, what you need to do is just have two two things that symbolize one's healthy, one's not, and some variation between the two. Like, you know, there's there's black dark, and then there's gray dark, and then there's light gray dark, and then there's kind of dirty white dark, and then there's pure white. So that gives a variation. So what you need is a is like a binary thing. It's either A or B, which is healthy or unhealthy, and some way of doing variations between them. Uh, you know, it could be a tone. You could you could do it with hearing instead of visual. You know, you could have a low tone for one, a high tone for the other, and then some variation between them. Uh, you could do it with um, I don't know with other with other kinds of visuals besides white and black. But just think of if you come up with it yourself it'll be much better than if somebody gives it to you. So just come up with anything. These are just tools. Nothing magic about white and black and, you know, shining light on the black stuff. But other than our culture tends to have cow good cowboys with white hats, bad cowboys with black hats. And, uh, you know, we, we use energy to fix things, energy to change things. So the the white, the black, and focus energy at the black spot to turn it white just kind of rattles around with most people's, you know, beliefs and metaphors that it kind of falls into place. But you may be different that way. So you can, that's all you need is a, is a symbol that can be A or B or some gradation in between. It could be distance of sort, some sort. You could see it as a distance. Okay, if they're over here, over here at this part, oh, man. That confuses me. When I wave my right hand, my left hand waves on the monitor. <clears throat> really messes me up. All right. You know, if, if the, if the, this is, you know, bad health and then this is good health, then think of a line that's moving between them. So you see some gradation and you want to take the line and move it all over to the good health side. All those will work just as well. But if those things push back and won't seem to stay, you know, you move that, you move that line back to where it's all over on one side and poof, you know, jumps back again. Then the problem is a, is a fear, probably a performance anxiety that, uh, that you're dealing with. Maybe, uh, maybe a, uh, a left brain problem of the intellect wanting to be in charge. You know, it's something like that. In which case, just don't get, you know, don't get, uh, dis- don't get, uh, disappointed. Just, Keep working at it, making the cases simpler, 
doing the best you can. Keep working at it. Don't get frustrated with it. When you get frustrated, it makes it worse. So you have to stay away from the frustration. But try different tools and see if that will work for you. You know, if all the whatever, if all the the stuff is in a pile over here and you, and that's the unhealthy pile and you got to move it over to this other side, which is the healthy pile, and, you know, you just have to slide it across from one to the other, that will, that will work. You know, and, you know, I'm just coming up with things like that. But anything that shows A, B, and some sort of space between A and B is uh, will work fine. You know, you could use lights. That if there's healthy, you know, the stuff that's not healthy, you see this whole bank of, uh, there's a whole string of red lights. And the stuff that's healthy is, is uh, you know, green lights. Right? Bad stuff, stop, good stuff, go, you know, red and green. And then we, uh, you know, trying to make all the lights go green. And, you know, those lights represent the health of Susie Q. You know, you set that up as an intention. So. Whatever works, but try that first. Otherwise, you're just going to have to keep plugging without getting frustrated. And uh, it will try to think of a way that you can get past it. If it's your, if you are the, if you are the problem and not just the metaphor, um, you need to take it from a less serious viewpoint. If it's you. If you're too serious about it, then it's harder to do if you're just, just, let's just try this and see what happens. I'm just going to try healing and see if anybody gets better. You know, I don't really expect them to. I don't really expect them not to. I just want to see. So I'm just going to do this thing and, and we'll see. That kind of an attitude rather than I need, I want to do this. I really want to be able to do this. You see, that that makes it hard. That makes it so you can't do it. So if you can just do it. Lightly, without taking it too seriously, that might help. So those are some things to try. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Oliver, Justin, and everyone for participating today. And we'll see you next time. So long. Thanks, everybody, for coming.